Today is, I just told the kids it's Reformation Day. It's also Halloween. And on Halloween, there's a lot of focus on spirits today. You know, ghosts and goblins and demons and all kinds of spirits. The spirits that people ingest, if you know what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of spirits that people are focused on. And you might think that I planned this series out so that today would fall on talking about the Holy Spirit. And if you thought that, you would be thinking correct, because I did. And uh, this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Now, some Christians feel like on Halloween that they reject everything to do with Halloween, and if that's your conviction, that's fine. Between you and the Lord, that's fine. But I think a day like today is a great time to show the world the one true spirit that they really need. The spirit who comes from the Father turning there i'm going to get recharged here all right john 14 is where we're going to be looking john chapter 14 now here in john chapter 14 the there's a greek word called parakletos now that word is translated several different ways. There is, in your King James Version, if you have the King James, it's translated as comforter. In some translations, it's translated as counselor. In other translations, it's translated as helper. One, it's translated as advocate. And it's a word that means to come or call alongside. Sometimes it was used in court as defense counsel. And here in John chapter 14, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, a, is the parakletos. He's the comforter to the hurting. He's an advocate who pleads our case. He's a helper who comes alongside of us when we're helpless. And so I want us to look at John 14 together, beginning of verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's that word, parakletos. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. Isn't that reassuring this morning? In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, 
He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, remember there was two Judases who were disciples, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to, my, to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now the Apostles' Creed just simply declares, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's just six simple but thundering words you could say that are declaring orthodox belief and the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. One man put it this way. He said the most passionate and the most intimate and the most significant element of the Christian faith is that God, the creator of all and the world's redeemer, has chosen not only to communicate with us, but has also chosen to indwell us. Just think about that for just a moment. The God of the universe has chose to come and live within you and I. God in us. Not only we sing Emmanuel, God with us. And I'm thankful that he is with us, but he is also in us. What an incredible privilege. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about this spirit that Jesus promised and that he provided. And I won't, I, it won't be possible for me to tell you everything about the Holy Spirit this morning. But I'm going to give you a little bit today, all right? First thing we're going to see is the person of the Holy Spirit. You and I need to get a hold of the fact that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He's not a force like in Star Wars, all right? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. Now, when the Apostles' Creed was originally written, there wasn't a whole lot of debate initially within the church concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But later on, you'd come to like the fourth century, there were some heretics who arose who were called fighters against the Spirit. And they denied the deity of the Holy Spirit. So later, there would come the Nicene Creed. So in 325 was the first version of what would become the Nicene Creed. And it's later revised in 381. And in 381, when the, when the Nicene Creed was uh, written or revised, it affirmed, it went a little deeper into what the Holy Spirit is. So in the Apostles' Creed, we just simply say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But the Nicene Creed says, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now, I don't have time to get into it all this morning, but later there would be those who would, who would, say, who would add to this and say proceeds from the Father and the Son, which caused major issues, split the church east and west, so now you have Eastern Orthodox and you have Catholic Church split east and west over that phrase. I don't have time to get into all that this morning. Now I've piqued your curiosity, so maybe later we will. But there was a man named Gregory of Nazianzus. Fascinating guy. Was perhaps the clearest Trinitarian writer in the 4th century and during the formation of the Nicene Creed. And he expressed, I think, well what we mean when we confess we believe in the Holy Spirit. This is what Gregory said. He said, The Holy Spirit must certainly be conceived of in the category of one who is self-existent. If he were considered only as an activity of God, he would be the action but would not himself do anything and would cease to exist as soon as the action occurred. For this is the nature of an activity. How is it then that he acts and says various things and defines and is grieved and is angered and has all the qualities that belong clearly to one who moves and not to the movement? In other words, what Gregory's saying here is the Holy Spirit is not just a force. He's a person. For Gregory, the, the witness of Scripture was clear. He's a person who moves who speaks, who can be angered, who can be grieved. He's not just the impersonal actions of God, the Father, but He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. You remember when the Apostle Peter confronted Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, he accused them of lying to who? He accused them of lying to the Holy Spirit. And by lying to the Holy Spirit, they were in fact lying to God because... It's one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, and the Arians arose and they, they denied what's called the eternal divine aseity of God, of, of the Son. Aseity means self-origination. So the Arians denied the self-origination of the Son, and they also saw that the Spirit was more of a created emanation from God wasn't a person. And so that's what led to the Nicene Creed and Gregory saying the things he said. When the council met, Gregory asked the council if they believed that the Spirit was God. Eventually they would come to the conclusion, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. A man named R.A. Torrey in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he said this. He said, it is of the highest importance from the standpoint of worship that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to himself, or whether it is simply an influence emanating from God or a power or an illumination that God imparts to us. If the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person and we do not know Him as such, then we are robbing a divine person of the worship and faith and love and the surrender to Himself which is due. 
My point this morning that I'm trying to drive across here is that the Holy Spirit is a person. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talked about how that he's an active person who leads God's children, how he witnesses to our spirit, how he helps us when we pray, how he intercedes for us on our behalf. In 1 Corinthians and in Hebrews, we find out that the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes gifts among the churches. It, the Spirit, we find, can be insulted. He can be blasphemed. The Spirit encourages. The Spirit prevents. The Holy Spirit is a real person, the third and co-equal member of the Trinity. He's just as divine as the Father, and the Son, He possesses a divine personality. He personally chooses people for ministry. He communicates with us. He searches out the deep things of God to make them known to us, according to 1 Corinthians. He's the one who makes Christ a living reality to the believer. He's called the Spirit of Christ. And as I've mentioned, He can also be grieved. Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it's been said that you can resist a power, but you can only grieve a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Samuel Chadwick, great Methodist, Wesley Methodist preacher, also led the Wesley Methodist Church for a while. He said this, he said, the church is the body of Christ to be gotten unified and indwelt by the Spirit. But forgetting the Spirit, men wrangle over limbs, functions, and orders. The Christian religion is hopeless without the Holy Ghost. And church, listen to me this morning. Without the third person of the Trinity, the church is hopeless. Unless we have God's Spirit in us, not only individually, but in us as a unified body of believers, unless we have God's presence in us and among us, everything we do is hopeless. Unless God the Holy Spirit comes this afternoon and helps us, all we'll do is pass out some candy. And passing out candy is great, but pagans can pass out candy. We need the Holy Spirit to come and do for us what we can't do ourselves. We've talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, and I've got to hurry along. I want to talk also about the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is found all throughout the Old Testament. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, of course, stood up and preached, and he said, this is that. This is what Joel promised in the Old Testament. You go to Joel chapter 2 and you find that promise where God said He would pour out His Spirit. The promise of the presence of the third person of the Trinity is for all of us. That's what Joel's prophecy foretold. That the Holy Spirit would be for everyone. His presence is available for all of us. And in fact, if you are a believer, His presence dwells within you. I told you that the church is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. And the early church provides us a pretty good example of that hopelessness. I mean, just think about the early church. It's simple men, simple women. I mean, the leaders are former fishermen, tax collectors. 
You remember how they fled in fear when Jesus was arrested? When Jesus needed them most, where did they go? They went running off, hiding away. They weren't courageous. They lacked faith. They lacked courage. I mean, you wouldn't put them in charge of any of your enterprises, any of your businesses, because they, they, they were just simple individuals, simple men, simple women. Yet after the Holy Spirit came, they turned the world upside down. And it wasn't because they had seminary training. Seminary training is great. I'm in seminary right now taking classes. But they didn't have seminary training. They couldn't hand out copies of the New Testament. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have great sound system and light shows and PowerPoint projectors and, and all that kind of stuff. What they had was the Holy Spirit. And they trusted in the Holy Spirit. They possessed the power of the Spirit. You remember in Ezekiel chapter 36, that promise of the Spirit? God said, therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations to which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you've profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes." I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That was the promise of the Old Testament. And that promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the spirit was poured out. And that spirit, as I said, is in every one of us if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, God's spirit would at times be with his people. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God's Spirit is now within His people. The promise has been fulfilled. God's presence is in you if you're a believer and His presence is among us. He is here. Aren't you thankful? Let me just hurry along and I want to talk to you a little bit about the presence of the Holy Spirit. What happens when He comes? Well, we started in John chapter 14. Let's jump over a couple chapters to John 16. Now, the Holy Spirit's a big topic. I can't possibly cover it all. But John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe we're actually better off right now than the disciples were? With Jesus' physical presence right there with him, with them. We often think, man, it'd be great to go back to the New Testament and have Jesus right there with us. And it would be great to see him, right? But Jesus said it's to our advantage that he's gone away. Because now his spirit is within all of us. If he didn't go away, the helper would not come. 
Last Sunday, I told you oftentimes we ask that question, where are you, God? We go through difficulties, we go through times of discouragement, and we wonder, God, where are you at? You know where God's at? He's right here within you. You've just allowed the circumstances of life to cloud out your vision of His presence in your life. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Look at the next verse. And when he comes, Jesus says, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what's the presence of the Holy Spirit do? Well, the presence of the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Growing up, I'd hear preachers sometimes talk about old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction. Well, whatever the lingo you want to use, that's what we need. We need God's Spirit to come and bring old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction. I remember people praying. Lord, make them so, bring them under such conviction that they can't eat or sleep until they get right with you. And that's what we need, is God's Spirit to do what you and I can't do. We have a responsibility to be a witness. We've got a responsibility to declare truth. We've got to shine our light for Jesus. Part of shining our light for Jesus is preaching the Word. Some of it is just showing people the love of Jesus. We're going to go out this afternoon. We're going to pass out candy. But you know what I want God to do while we're passing out candy? I want there to be a sense of conviction. They've got something that we need, that I need. Isn't that what we need, Brenda? It's what happened to you, isn't it? We need the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and bring conviction. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul wrote, he said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He's chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You see, I can stand up here and I can preach. And I can preach the Word. The Word that's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I need the Holy Spirit to come along and do a work in people's lives that I can't do. To bring conviction. What's he convict of? Well, he convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. And he convicts of judgment. In John 6, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, were, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one could come to me unless it was granted him 
by the Father. You see, only the Spirit can enable people to see their need of salvation. And it is God and His provenient grace that deals with people and draws them through the power of His Spirit. And without His convicting work, we're hopelessly plunged in sin, we're hopelessly bound and broken without His drawing power, blinded by sin. We live in a world that's filled with people who are blinded by their sinfulness. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and take the blinders off. Not only does the Spirit convict, but the Spirit, Jesus tells us, also guides. It gives guidance. In verse 13, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to guide people into all truth. You see, one of the problems that we have, and you know because I've ran it on this before, and I'm going to, it's past noon, and I'm still going to ran on it for a minute, okay? One of the problems we have is we think when God tells us something, that automatically then means that eh, it's for everybody. God said I shouldn't wear turquoise. I don't know if he's ever told anybody that, but making this up as I go here. Oh, that means people can't wear turquoise. Well, maybe God told you not to wear turquoise because when you do, you get all proud and stuff. But that doesn't mean everybody else can't wear turquoise. The Holy Spirit is faithful to guide us into all truth. One of my favorite quotes of all times from Oswald Chamber, never make a principle out of your own experience. Let God be as original with other people as he is with you. And God will be original with people. Now, there's some things that are black and white in Scripture, but there's a whole lot of other things that aren't. But you know what? If you love Jesus with all your heart, you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced His Spirit will guide you into all truth. What I want you to do is give your life to Jesus and love Him with all your heart, and God will take care of the rest. I've asked you this before, but let me ask you again. Why don't we trust the Holy Spirit to do His work? It's His work to guide into all truth. But we think we've got to help people out. Oh, He got saved last Sunday. Whew, he got saved. And you know, that guy's hair is a little bit long. Yeah, he smokes cigarettes and chews tobacco and goes with girls who do. You know what, buddy, you need to do? You need to get rid of those cigarettes, cut your hair, and break up with that girl. You think you're the Holy Spirit. You're not. Let the Holy Spirit do His work. If you say amen, I'll go on. <laughs> We've got to trust the Holy Spirit to guide people. He convicts. He guides what else does the Holy Spirit do? He glorifies Christ.
Christ. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to transform us into Christ's image so that we will glorify Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit, some people become so focused on the Holy Spirit that they forget about Christ. And the role of the Spirit is to bring glory to Christ. And He wants to do so in our lives. So how do sinful people glorify Christ? How's that, how's that transformation happen? Well, we do so through the work of the Holy Spirit who begins His transforming work in our lives in what we call regeneration. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit by which new life in Christ is imparted to us. It's what we call the new birth. When you're born again, you're regenerated. And that's why I've said over and over again, there's no one who's a Christian who does not possess the Holy Spirit. Paul says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. And sometimes we've preached the Holy Spirit in such a way that you would think nobody gets the Holy Spirit until they're entirely sanctified. And that's not the case. You get the Holy Spirit when you're regenerated, when you're born again. But then He begins working on us. And He begins to transform us. And what's He doing? He's shaping us into the image of Jesus. And so God might take that guy who got saved last Sunday... And as that man begins to walk with Jesus and he's got that new life within him, the Holy Spirit begin whispering to him, you know what? I think you need to give up and change in this area of your life. And the Holy Spirit's faithful. If the Holy Spirit has been faithful to speak to you and say, you need to change something in your life, would you just raise your hand? He's done it for me. The Holy Spirit does His job and He does it well. And He continues to work on us. We call this sanctification. And sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit by which the regenerate spirit is brought into full participation in the life of God through our union with Christ. We're being transformed. We're being transformed by the power of His Spirit. And eventually, the Holy Spirit would be faithful to bring us to a point, what we call entire sanctification, where he says, you know what, John? You need to just present your body wholly and completely. We call that entire sanctification. The Spirit's faithful to do his work. We just got to let him do his work. So I just want to ask you a couple questions to close. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Have you been transformed from death to life by the power of the Spirit through faith in Christ? Is your life being transformed into Christ's image through the power of His Spirit? Are you keeping in step with His Spirit? Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Really, that's the big task of discipleship. 
is keeping in step with the Spirit? Is your life surrendered to His leadership and direction? Are you fully surrendered to Him? You know what the essence, really just to boil the Christian life down to its bare bones, what it is? I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just say yes to Jesus. Let's not forget about the Spirit. Let's not neglect the Spirit. Let's remember that the Christian religion is hopeless without the Holy Spirit. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, when he'd get it, go walking up to his pulpit, he'd repeat to himself this line from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? To remind himself it wasn't his power. It wasn't his oratorical ability. It's the Holy Spirit. May God help us to keep in step with the Spirit. He's the only Spirit we need. The only one. Would you stand with me this morning? May God help us to keep in step with the Spirit so that Christ can be exalted in our lives. That should be the goal of every Christian. I want Christ to be exalted in my life. I don't want to do anything that displeases Him, that brings shame to the name of Jesus. Why is it that people who take the name of Jesus do things that bring shame to His name? And the truth is, all of us have at times. Because all of us have made mistakes, all of us have failed to, to, to walk in the Spirit, and what's happened? We've stopped saying, yes, Lord, yes. And we've started to insist on our own way and pleasing ourselves. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will, to your way. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your Spirit to fill us, to transform us, to renew us, to sanctify us. May the very God of peace sanctify us wholly. Do your work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to keep in step with your Spirit. To take off all the no trespassing signs in our lives. And to say, God, you can have all of me, every room, every compartment. Lord, I, I'm, I'm not only going to get out of the driver's seat and get in the passenger seat, but God, I'm going to hop in the trunk. And I'm going to let you drive my life. I'm going to let you have control. God, help us. Help us as a church to remember that we're hopeless without your presence. Help us today, Lord, as we go out, as we endeavor, Lord, to shine a light in this community. Oh, our community needs you so desperately. 
And Lord, Tarrant City, the problems of Tarrant City won't be solved by a mayor. They won't be solved by a city council. It's hopeless without the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you will help us as your people to shine your light today. Lord, lead some people across our pathway that we can do more for than just give them some candy. But Lord, help us, Lord, to truly, may your Spirit just work through us. And would you do your work of conviction today? Would you do your work of guiding today? And Lord, we just pray that you will just transform us and those we come in contact with into your image and glorify Jesus through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.